0: Hello, my name is Joe. Welcome to today's show. I am excited to talk to you. We're about halfway through January, moving forward into 2019. I don't know about you, but I am so excited about the upcoming year. Lots of good things going on. And at the same time, January has been a hard month. This has been a month where a lot of things have come together to put pressure on my wife and I, in our businesses, with our family. Not bad stuff. Well, yeah, some bad stuff. I mean, uh, last week I had a guy, a, a guy that I know uh, that I worked with uh, that I would have considered a friend, even though we hadn't talked in a number of years. Uh, got arrested for something uh, very serious. Um, very, very serious accusations. Of course he's innocent until proven guilty. but based on everything that I can see, it certainly looks as though he's very guilty. That was very hard. I mean, I sat there and I was stunned to read what my eyes were seeing. And so it's been an interesting year. I want to talk to you today a little bit about life maintenance. We've talked about goals. We've talked about themes. Today, I want to talk to you about doing some maintenance in your relationships area. How are you maintaining? How are you evaluating? And how are you ending some relationships in your life that may need to end? Let's kick it off. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right, let's talk about relational housekeeping that you need to do, that I need to do regularly every year. One of the things uh, that I enjoy doing is I enjoy reading. I try to read a broad spectrum of things. Everything from things that are in my field to self-help, non-fiction, uh, religious books, spiritual books, counseling books, fiction. Uh, I even like fantasy. I don't get too much into like the aliens fantasy, but every once in a while, you know, I'll read one of those. Right now, uh, I'm reading, if you've watched The Last Kingdom on Netflix, It's actually an 11-book series. I'm reading that. I really enjoy that. I'm rereading a couple books by Dr. Henry Cloud that I really enjoyed. And I am skim rereading. So I've read it once, and I'm skimming a book by Donald Miller called Scary Close. And in that book, he talks about manipulation. I talk about manipulation quite a bit uh, in counseling. Obviously, it's something you encounter relatively frequently. As a relationships counselor, one of the things that people do regularly is they try to manipulate in order to get what they want in a relationship that they're not finding satisfactory or that is causing them issues and pain. And so one of the things that I work through with couples, with individuals, is manipulation. One of the places you'll find a lot of manipulation is in parenting. Last week, I talked to a group of social workers about about how we as mental health providers and helpers can help people see that when they change so that their spouse changes, when they change so that their child changes, they're not actually changing for good, they're manipulating. And one of my assumptions is that you'll never manipulate your way into a healthy relationship. If you want to learn more about this, I'd encourage you to look into my book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. It is available wherever books are sold. You can buy it online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, those types of places. Uh, If you are a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, you can read it for free. You can swing by one of our offices and get a signed copy and also a little bit of a discount on the book. Well, I would encourage you to look at that. I would also encourage you to consider our marriage conference. If you go to joemartino.com forward slash relationships, we do have a marriage conference coming up March 2nd of this year here in Grand Rapids. It's a one-day event. Name your own price. Uh, we're very excited to offer that every year. Last year was the first year in, I want to say, almost nine years that we didn't offer that at all. Uh, we ended up doing one last year, I think, but we didn't put one on because we diverted uh, energy and resources into the book. Uh, I'm always I'm impressed with people who can do both. Uh, so that is JoeMartino.com/relationships. I'd encourage you to look into that. I'd also encourage you to you know expand your reading. Donald Miller's book, Scary Close. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, you know, read as many things as you can find on relationships. There's going to be things that you're going to read and you're going to disagree with. Certainly, there are things. Donald Miller has put into print that I don't agree with. There are a lot of things that he's put into print that I do agree with. Brene Brown, I was just talking to somebody about her. I love her TED Talks. I love a lot of her books. In one of her books, I just feel she does a terrible job accounting for evil. And so part of reading is it it enables you to engage in ideas that you agree with while simultaneously engaging with ideas that you disagree with and that is a skill that is sorely lacking in our society. If you don't believe me, just find people that disagree with you politically and bring it up. Uh, I put up a map on my Facebook of how the Electoral College vote works. That was it. And people are just... like, By and large, they're relatively polite to each other. But it's just assumed what I meant by it. They're going back and forth. There's not a lot of simultaneous uh, disagreement. In fact... Typically what happens is somebody says something and then when somebody else disagrees with them, they either blow each other up, they stop talking to each other, they talk past each other, or they're just like, okay, well, I'm done then. I'm, I'm not talking. And so this is something that you can develop without actually using real people. You can use books. And it's an awesome skill. It's a phenomenal tool that will help you, first of all, gain more knowledge and wisdom for life. It'll also help you to just have a better life, a life that is more cal- more calm, Better endured by just reading, just engaging with ideas. I agree with this, I don't agree with this, and holding that intention. Before I get to that, and I know there's a lot of like advertisement types in this podcast, but before I get to that, I do want to tell you be on the lookout. My wife and I are going to start putting on two hour parenting classes one weekend a month, one Saturday a month for two hours. We're going to pick a topic and we're going to cover it. It'll be $25 a couple. You come, we do the presentation, we work through it, you leave. We're going to do it at our Lowell office. We're very excited to uh, put that into motion. And we do have a marriage retreat. This will be an intensive retreat coming up in May. We're going to be finalizing those details this week. I know that sounds really late, uh, but one of the things that we ran into is the place that we want to do. This is going to be like a destination retreat. And so one of the things that we ran into was where we want to go. They don't book anything till January, so we had to wait until January to finalize those details. All right, let's talk about manipulation. One of the things that I say in my book, I say in my marriage conferences, I say in session all the time, is you will never manipulate your way into a healthy relationship, and we're never more tempted to manipulate than in the relationships that matter the most to us. I will watch parents manipulate their kids from the time they're born till the time they're 18, and then they're surprised when they have a 19-year-old that doesn't know what to do with life because they've been manipulated their whole life. Or they will raise children that manipulate their spouses, and they're shocked. They're like, how, did, how does that happen? Well, because you you taught them to manipulate, right? And so we have to consider where in our lives are we manipulating, and I'd like to say that and that someone's immune from this. No one's immune from this. I've attended churches where you could tell what the pastor was mad about based on what he preached on. It's just how it went. I've worked for companies. I worked for a company uh, in 2000. Oof, that's going to age me. But I worked for a company around the turn of the century. That sounds really old. Uh, Where the guy bragged about throwing a phone across the room, how he made an art teacher cry. And this was supposed to be a faith-based organization it was craziness. And then my non-faith-based people were like, see, 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 there's proof. But I also worked for a guy that was a self-proclaimed atheist who did very similar things. And so manipulation is part of everyone's life. We all have to be on the lookout for it, both in how, how am I manipulating? Are there things that I'm doing that's manipulating? There are times that I will be honest with you right here, right now, mostly because it's safe and you won't judge me too hard, I don't think, is I'll tell my son, yeah, I'll give you this if you give me a kiss. That's the definition of manipulation. He's six, and those kisses are going to stop coming very soon, and I've become acutely aware of that. Notice how I justify it right away. right? So manipulation, you'll never manipulate your way into a a healthy relationship, and yet we do it regularly. Why? I think the first reason we do it is because manipulation feels safe. It feels safe to do something that we think gives us some sort of Control, although it would be a false control, certainly. It gives us some sort of false sense of control. So we manipulate because it feels safe. In my book, I write this we spend so much of our life hiding. Most people are so afraid that they will be found out, that they will be found out to be dreamers, artists, lovers. You can fill in almost anything here. As humans, we learn very early in life that our dreams are to be kept secret. We learn that people will laugh when we share from the deepest part of our heart. We long to find someone we can truly know and whom we can trust to truly know us. We long to find someone we can give ourselves to completely. And yet we know that giving ourselves completely to someone is completely dangerous. And so we manipulate because we think it feels safe. And it gives us a false sense of control. I've watched more than one mother manipulate her adult son into being dependent upon him and then lamenting to all, or to her, excuse me, and then lamenting to all of her friends how he's dependent upon her. And there's this vicious cycle. She laments how he never grows up, but she never actually makes him grow up because if he did, he might not need her. So she manipulates him into being needed by her. And he manipulates her by giving her what she wants and then having unrealistic expectations about how she's still supposed to treat him like he's nine instead of twenty-nine. And everybody sits back and goes, wait, how'd that happen? Because we manipulate, because it gives us a false sense of control that feels falsely safe. Miller, in his book, Scary Close, if you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to pick it up. It is published by, I don't know who, by Nelson Books, Thomas Nelson, right here in Grand Rapids. Uh, He says that manipulation is entertaining. And I hadn't thought about it before he wrote it, but there's truth to that. Manipulation is entertaining because it feels safe, because it feels... uh, uh, like we're in control, it can be very entertaining because it creates the opportunity for you to feel like you are smarter than the other person, which which directly combats that that bubbling brook narrative in the back of your head that you don't measure up, that you're not good enough. And so... Uh, he, he talks about in the book about how they watched two guys argue that weren't really interested in talking to each other, and they were. He says we were we had been entertained for a half hour by two guys wrestling over words. He was watching a TV show where somebody interviewed the president, right? And, and you, if you don't believe this, you can watch this on Facebook. People argue over words. You can watch this in real life a little bit less because people just stop talking nowadays. In the book, he lists five types of manipulators that he found in another book that he sources, I believe it's called Safe People. Uh, he, he makes this statement that I love. Safe People is the name of the book. And it is the, Townsend convinced me in the book, Safe People, that deception in any form kills intimacy. Right? You can never manipulate your way into a healthy relationship. And deception will always kill intimacy because intimacy is based on the idea that I can trust you and you can trust me. So the five types of scorekeepers that he has... Uh, or five types of scorekeepers. I gave away the first person. The five types of manipulators that he discusses in his book. The first one is the scorekeeper. And he says this, whenever somebody starts keeping score in a relationship, that relationship begins to die. A scorekeeper makes life feel like a contest. We all know people like this, right? And, and these are the people that say, I do everything for everyone else. I do, I do, I do. And then when I need them, they don't do anything for me. Or, well, I did this, right? They might ask you, hey, can you help me out with this? And you say, uh, no, well, don't you remember the time I took you to the airport? Yeah, yeah, I do, but you volunteered to do that, and I can't do what you asked me to do. Yeah, but I did this. That's manipulation. You owe me because I did this. I I took out friends for dinner a couple years ago, and and we went, you know, we didn't really discuss who was going to pay, and I paid. And then the next time we went out, they had to pay. That bothered me. That's scorekeeping. Drives me crazy. Don't do that. I want to bail. If I buy you dinner, it's because I want to. It's not because you owe me. And so you have to engage the idea that if you're keeping score, you're killing a relationship. If you have people in your life who are keeping score, well, last year you bought this gift for me, so I had to buy this gift for you. That's trouble. Or I bought this gift for you, so you had better buy that gift for me. That's manipulation. It's destructive and it destroys relationships. The next manipulator that he lists, he calls the judge. And uh, he talks about how he was dating a girl and his girlfriend said to him, there may come a day when you meet my mother. I just want you to know that I think she's right about most things and I'd hate for you to disagree with her. No pressure there, Don. Uh, And he responded to her, I'm sure she's a wise woman and really great and who knows whether we'll agree about things or not. Time will tell. Uh, He goes on, at this point she began to cry. She wiped her eyes and said, you don't understand. I don't want you to disagree with her. Later when I met her mother I realized she controlled people by judging them. From an early age my friend learned her security, her food, her shelter, and even the love she received depended on one thing: mom is always right. And she simply couldn't get close to anybody who threatened that security. Remember, I said earlier manipulation helps us feel like we're secu- helps us feel like we're in control and it feels safe. That's false security. A judge manipulator strongly believes in right and wrong, which is great, but they also believe that they are the only ones who get to decide the right and wrong, right? I see this all the time in relationships. Uh, we, we were just out to dinner last night with friends, and we were talking about uh, a public speaker that we heard who took his children to see a movie that his wife had, had a conviction against. They're a spiritual couple, and she didn't think it was right, and he went, and there was people flipping over how he didn't honor his wife. And I'm like, wait, yes, he did. He, he acknowledged her belief, and then he went and did what he believed. And this really flips people out, because if we're not going to be judge manipulators, we're going to realize that there are things that we prefer that not everyone else does. So we don't have to do that. A number of years ago, my wife wanted to watch a TV show with our children that I hate, I despise, I loathe, I cannot stand. I don't want my daughters, at the time I didn't have a son, and my daughters to... Uh, grow up believing the stuff and that. And she was like, I just see it as harmless entertainment and it gives us something to talk about. We're going to do it. Okay. I can't manipulate her into sharing my belief. And so you live in that tension. One of the reasons that couples fall apart is that they get stuck trying to control each other through using judge-like manipulation. I can't believe you would believe that. I can't believe you like that. That's manipulation It's dangerous and it will destroy your relationship. It's very destructive. Normal, healthy people don't like being wrong, but they're also always willing to admit that they're wrong and they're willing to admit that good people can disagree. My wife and I were on a panel one time talking to a bunch of students about uh, uh, how we navigate different things as parents and a couple and then the question was something about how did, we, how did we fight with our kids? And the couple right in front of us, they, all of their kids were raised adults. They were very excited to share that they never argued in front of their children. And I remember thinking, I am about to disagree with literally 100% of everything this woman is saying. And so I led with the statement, well, hopefully this is where we all agree that good people can disagree. Because we actually will argue in front of our children because we want them to see healthy arguments. We want them to know that arguing is normal. We want them to know that fighting is normal because I see so many people in my room who the first real fight they have or they get to fight number five and they're convinced their marriage is going to fall apart because mom and dad never fought. So that's the judge. All right. And then Miller goes on. He says, there's the false hero manipulator. And this is what he says about that. The false hero manipulates by leading people to believe that they have something better to offer than they do. He says, this one's tough because it's my go-to form of manipulation. He talks about how the false hero offers things that either they can't deliver on or they're not ready to deliver on. Miller essentially says that the false hero offers a future that's too good to be true. I would like to add a little caveat to that. They offer a future that's too good to be true under the condition that you stay with them. If you stay with them, your future with them will be good. If you leave them, your future will fall apart. That's a false hero manipulator. You have to have them. I see this a lot in adolescent dating and and especially mid-20s, early 20s. I see it with people. They start talking about marriage on the second date. They... Uh, they they want to talk about how their relationship is so unique. In fact, I often hear clients who are struggling to get over a relationship that broke up. They, they talk about their relationship as though it's some sort of specialty that it isn't. It's just normal. And that's okay. But it has to be special because one of them are in there. There's a little bit of narcissism with the false hero manipulator. The fourth one... That Miller talks about is the fearmonger. A few summers ago I visited Uganda, and while there I met this is what he's writing, by the way, there I met with members of the judiciary who were piecing together a new constitution and a new democracy. They were still recovering from the reign of a fearmonger, perhaps the most deadly and dangerous of manipulators. Idi Amin Dada ruled the country for nearly a decade. And certainly, if you study history at all, you know them. You know that name. He says this. Fearmongers rule by making people suffer the consequences of insubordination. The mantra of the fearmonger is if you don't submit to me, I'll make your life a living hell. Right now, there are people married to this guy. Emotional abusers are fearmonger manipulators. They just don't talk to you for four days because they're mad. You did something, four days later, they're still not talking to you. I cannot tell you how many times I see this in the room. Fearmongers. They only surround themselves with people who will submit. They avoid anybody who thinks for themselves. Now, in exchange for your submission, they'll offer you all sorts of good things. Strength, protection. It's all fake, though. It's manipulation. And you'll never manipulate your way into a healthy relationship. Emotional abusers withhold affection because you didn't do what they wanted them to do. That's fear-mongering. Emotional abusers, when they get mad, I just feel like I should leave. Well, then leave. I know that there's people out there that are going to think, oh my goodness, did he just say that? I do. One of the things that I tell spouses, if your spouse is threatening you you with, if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to leave. Help them pack. Let them live in the consequences of their choices. Because not letting them live in the consequences of their choices sets you up as a false hero manipulator. And you allow them to be a fear-mongering manipulator. Because you do what they want. But you're the hero, you put up with it emotional abusers say you do it my way or else you get punished. That's fear-mongering. Now, that is not the same as somebody saying, look, you're toxic, I need to cut you out of my life. That, that's, if that's done right, what it is, is they're going to identify what the toxic person is doing, why it's toxic, and how they think together they could move forward and change the toxicity of the, of the choices. Toxicity of the choices. There is a difference between being a fear-mongering manipulator and truly drawing boundaries. And that's important that you understand. Well, one of the ways that uh, Townsend and Cloud define it in the book that Miller, in his book, quotes, is they say, safe people speak the truth in grace. It's somebody who speaks truth with grace. And that's so important. That there's a difference there between being fear mongering, do it my way or I'm going to punish you. And hey, what you're doing is toxic to my soul. We've come to the place where we just, if we don't like it, if we don't like a person, we don't have to hear what they say in our society. Or if what they're saying is something that makes us feel uncomfortable, we don't like it. I just watched a YouTube video uh, of an interview that a woman did on a college campus where she talked about the dangers of certain realities. And a woman stood up and said, my mother was that reality. And, and the, the speaker said to her, but that's not an argument. I don't see how you dare say that. Well, and the response was because the data supports it. Whether or not we like something is irrelevant to its, is irrelevant to its validity. And so there are certain ways that just produce better results. One of the things that a lot of men have to face, kids become better adults when their fathers are connected to them. Well, and then I hear a bunch of excuses. Or maybe I hear legitimate reasons. It doesn't matter whether they're excuses or legitimate reasons. The better way is for fathers to be involved in their kids' lives. And if they're not, those kids are set up for a more difficult life. If those dads don't like it, that's irrelevant. But in our society, we have come to the place where we don't know how to handle things we don't like. We don't know how to handle the pain of hearing we might have done something wrong. There are things that I did with my children when they were younger that I have more information about now. Some people when that happens they lash out at the message or the messenger or they pull out the greatest card of all well you're judging me. Yeah, I am because everyone is and so are you. Let's be honest about that. Now, we're at not actually. So don't go don't go take that out of context. To me, judgment is making a values decision about someone. I'm not saying that I was, I had less value when I did this thing with my, my now 16 year old when she was six that I don't do with my son. I have more information now, but I am judging the, the, the merit of the decision I made when she was six. And it wasn't a good decision. It wasn't the best decision. It might've been the best decision possible. That doesn't make it good. And so what happens when we face that reality, we attack and we become fear-mongering manipulators. And that is destructive. It destroys relationships. I have people I just don't talk to because if they hear anything that, that makes them uncomfortable, they attack. And so I'm just done. And and what's really ironic about the fear-mongering manipulator is that they tend to say, well, you're attacking me. No, I'm just disagreeing with you. We don't differentiate that. The last of the five that Miller talks about is the flopper. Uh, I would probably call this person the false victim. These are the people that they take... Sometimes they take true trauma that happened that you didn't have anything to do with. It happened 10 years before they knew you. But it's so much a part of their identity that you have to bow down to it. Most of the time though, they just embrace the role of victim, right? There's 10 friends, eight of them go out to dinner and the two that didn't get invited just break down and passive aggressive. We never get invited. I wish people wouldn't put stuff up on Facebook or social media or Instagram showing pictures that they're doing because I don't get invited and that hurts my feelings. Then go make new friends. Or go invite people out, and you initiate the party. We're working through this right now with some of our our children, my wife and I. They're like, hey, I don't feel like I do a whole lot with my friends. I'll say we should do something, and then nobody ever picks anything. To which my wife, who said, well, maybe you should actually say something beyond we should do something, and why don't you say we should go to a movie, we should go bowling, we should go out to dinner. Like, actually offer them something. And that's a very difficult thing for people. Because if you can't be the victim how do you deal with your pain? You move forward. You process it. Victim manipulators are dangerous because they will tell you that you should do something today because of what happened to them 10 years ago. That's insanity. Well, I was, no, 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 Hold on. Hold on. What about today? Have, have you been able to move, right? Like, so a person who was abused might say, well, my dad did this. Okay. But you're an adult now and it's time to make different choices. The false victim, a lot of abusers are false victim manipulators. I I worked, I'm sure I've shared this story before on this, maybe not, but I've shared it with other people. I helped a friend of mine one time do uh, domestic violence small groups. I helped her set up and I was kind of there just to call 911 if something went off. And I cannot tell you how many domestic violence perpetrators, men who were convicted of just awful violence, they would say, I wouldn't have hit her if she didn't say... That's false victim manipulation. And it's hogwash. It's straight up hogwash. Right? And we do this today with words like respect. Well, if you don't do what I want, you don't respect me. There I am. I'm a victim. Now, there is respect, right? There's a way to talk to a person. There's a way to interact with a person. But, you know, I'll pick something silly. Well, you went to that movie, so that doesn't respect me. Well, no, it just means I don't think that movie's wrong. You wore a hoodie. So that doesn't respect me. Well, no, it just means I wore a hoodie. Like they're just, I'm trying to pick some ridiculous things. Don't be a victim. Don't be a false victim. Don't make somebody that you're in relationship with today pay for something you did as a child. Now, invariably, when I talk about this in front of people, I get emails, sometimes phone calls from people who are angry with me because, well, you don't know what it's like to be a victim. First of all, that's not an argument. Secondly, that's not accurate. And third, it's irrelevant. I don't have to know what it means to be a victim, although I do, to know that now in my life, the people that are in my life now didn't victimize me. They don't have to pay. Now, that doesn't mean that I might do things, I might not do things that get explained, well, this happened before, but then I need to change. If I'm going to move towards healthy, I cannot live in victimization. I cannot be a false victim and manipulate people into some sort of healthy relationship because that isn't how it works. It's like eating Cheetos dipped in Crisco and wondering why my blood pressure and cholesterol is high. That isn't how it works. If you're doing that, you need to stop. If you have people like this in your life who do any of these five things, maybe they're a scorekeeper, maybe they're a judge, maybe they're the false hero, maybe they're the fearmonger, or maybe they're the false victim, you need to talk to them or cut them out of your life. You need, to, you need to come up with how you're going to have boundaries. How are you going to limit their influence in your life? Because they're going to drain you. They're going to, they're going to suck life right out of you. It's like cutting your arm right at your wrist and just watching the blood ooze out with every heartbeat. You have to protect your heart. There was an ancient writer who wrote, Above all else, protect your heart for it is the wellspring of life. You have to protect your heart. You have to decide, how am I going to limit their interaction in my life? If you have these people in your life, how are you going to draw boundaries around them? It's likely that you recognize yourself in one of these. If you did, that's fine. Because recognition is the first step towards change. Now you need to develop a plan on how you're going to change. What are you going to do differently? What is one thing you can do this week to stop whichever one you recognized? Set a reminder in your phone to revisit the issue every week and ask yourself, how did I do this week in not being a manipulator? Be on the lookout for it. You got to keep it in your awareness. Change happens at the awareness level. So you've got to bring these deep-rooted, deep-seated, wired activities out to awareness and then make changes there. All right, this podcast has gone long. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. And if you have a question for a future show, feel free to send us an email at info at You can also go to jomartino.com and click on the contact me page. Until next time, remember, change possible.